Wow, what a great message. You love me like death in reverse. Um, that means life. I kind of feel his love in these days, don't you? Um, I mean, I know we're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, and, and it's serious. It's scary. Um, it's impacted every one of us. It's impacting the whole world. There are those in our church who have family members who tested positive. Uh, we're all in lockdown, sheltering in place. Our livelihoods are at stake. Our future is uncertain. And the president tells us it's going to get worse. As far as the death toll in our country and worldwide, it continues to go up. And we're all trying to figure out a new normal. And while there's a lot that I could say about COVID-19, and by the way, last week I called it COVID-99. I, I know it's not COVID-99, just a slip of the tongue. I promise you we don't need any more coronaviruses, so let's keep it at this. But as much as I could say about what we're facing, I feel strongly that today and throughout this week, especially next Sunday, that it would be better to focus on the very real answer we have in Jesus more than the trouble that we are facing in the world. And of course, today is Palm Sunday, and it, it feels a little strange for all of us to be gathering in our homes and connecting virtually. I'm grateful we have the chance to do that, but it would be better if we were all together. This is a special day. This is a special week. They, they call it Holy Week or the Passion Week, and it culminates in next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, traditionally called Around the World Easter. And if there's ever a time when the Church of Jesus Christ should come out in full force, it's this week. When we read about this week in the Bible, we realize that this is the church's essential business. We have essential business, and this is the week that's essential for us. We may not can gather to do that, but we still have the honor and privilege and responsibility to celebrate him, his death, burial, and resurrection. The happenings of this week are the center of our message. Just think about this. There are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And of those four Gospels, there are 89 total chapters in those four books. Of those 89 chapters, 29 of them cover this one week in Jesus' life. That's one-third of the gospel writings used to cover just one week. It's essential to our faith. What happens this week is so critical. Here's what my challenge is to you. Figure out what happens each day this week and go to Scripture and read what the Scripture has to say about it. Today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Good Friday, then looking Saturday where it's pretty much quiet, and then Sunday. Take that chance to read and find out what those 29 chapters have to tell us about this final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. When you examine the approach that Jesus took in his three and a half years of ministry, you'll see that at the start of the week, in this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, there's a seismic shift in the way Jesus does business. He's going to start operating different starting today. Up to this point, Jesus has spent time discipling and, and teaching and feeding the masses while pretty much remaining under the radar. 
uh, just couching his message into parables, instructing those he healed to keep quiet so as to not draw untimely attention to himself. But now everything's changed. He's going public into the center of the Jewish world where he will pierce many hearts and he'll ratchet up the pressure and expose the motives of the religious leaders and his followers alike. It's like Jesus flips a switch. And as he puts himself out there, he allows the crowd to hail him as the king, to worship him out in the open, to celebrate him as the rightful heir to David's throne. This is different. This is dangerous. Everything is on the line. And it's in this week that we see his eagerness to share a meal, the Passover, with his disciples. And we witness his humility as he takes their grimy, nasty feet and washes them. And then we hear him speak plainly that he must suffer and die. They didn't understand, but he still told them. And then we'll see him cleanse the den of robbers that was supposed to be a house of prayer. And we'll see him curse a fig tree, recognizing that there are religious leaders that are about to lose their right. And we'll witness a confrontation of Israel's leaders, and we'll also see the betrayal by one of his own. There will be poignant parables that he'll say out in the temple court. There'll be a secret meeting with 30 pieces of silver and a poor widow's complete and total offering, all that she had. And then we'll see the anguishing night of blood, sweat, and prayer. And we'll, we'll see the horrors of this crucifixion, something too graphic to even describe. We'll, we'll see the darkness that covered the earth and a sign that was nailed above his head announcing that he was the king of the Jews almost prophetically. And we'll hear his words of forgiveness and comfort for his mother and the prophetic anguish being fulfilled. And the week will come to an end with Jesus buried in a borrowed tomb and the hopes of those who followed him buried right along with him. This is the week where everything changes, and it's the week that will change everything. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. I wanted to talk about the first day of the Holy Week. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19 and verse 36. Luke 19, verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and he was drawing near. Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Wow. 
so much going on, it's understandable that our attention is first drawn to the excited crowds, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's like a big parade. There's praising of their coming king, and they're throwing their coats down before him. Other gospels say that they cut branches out of trees and laid them down on the path. But the part of the story that stands out to me, especially on this particular Palm Sunday, in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, is that Jesus approached Jerusalem, and as he did, the Bible says he wept. He wept. He wept over the city. Would that you, even you, he says, would that you had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. You know, as I read that scripture and studying for today, I could hear the Lord saying the same thing to our world today. Would that you would know on this day the things that make peace, the things that make for peace. We need something that we can't produce ourselves. We need the peace of God, which surpasses my understanding, your comprehension, Anything we can produce, we need something that only God can give. Would that the world would see his peace. You know, as a, as a casual observer, it, it might seem like Jesus, he weeps at the strangest times. I don't want to make light of it, but he seems to be crying in moments when nobody else is or at least in moments where he probably shouldn't be. Like just a few days earlier, he's wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He, he's gone there, which is on the surface not odd that he would be crying because Lazarus is dead, except that he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's about to turn their mourning into dancing, their sorrow into joy. So why is he crying? And now the adoring crowd, they're escorting him into the city of David, and they're singing out of Psalm 118, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But what is Jesus doing? He's weeping again. Man, Jesus, you sure do cry a lot. If there is anything the world needs today that the world has always needed, it is a compassionate God who understands our plight, our brokenness, our sin, our suffering, our loss, our sorrow. And that's what we have in Jesus. The prophet Isaiah said of him, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But it, weren't, it wasn't his own sorrows that he, had, he carried. It was the sorrows that we had made. That's why Isaiah could go on to say, surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. He loved us so much, he made our pain his own. And it, it should help us to know that we have a Savior who not only knows our frame, like the psalmist said in Psalm 103, and who not only knows what is in us, like the writer of John said in John 2, but also who shares in our flesh and blood. And that's why the Hebrew writer could say, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, I would say that we're in a time of need. I would say that the whole world is in a time of need and we need his mercy and his grace. And this scripture says for those who are in Christ, who have this high priest, we should draw with confidence near to him, to the throne of grace, where we find our high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. When you read the Gospels, you see Jesus has emotions. He feels things. And he lets us know that he felt them. He had compassion on those who were suffering. He had joy that he gave to his disciples. He was angry with those who were self-righteous. And he marveled at the faith of a Roman centurion. And when he prayed in the garden, he said, My soul is so very sorrowful, even unto death. Jesus felt things the same way that we feel things. And we see it especially in these moments as he weeps over Jerusalem, as he weeps with Mary and Martha over the loss of their brother. He weeps because he came into our pain and he joined us in it. He didn't stand off and be far removed. And in these tears that Jesus shed, we see that God does not remove himself from what we're experiencing. He doesn't remove himself from our pain. He enters it. He doesn't draw back. He draws near. The incarnate Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us, no longer the man upstairs, but Jesus right here. He he took on flesh and blood, and he emptied himself of divine privilege, and he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of man. Why? So that he could sympathize with us. David Mathis writes it very well when he says, the very heart of the Christian message is that the happy God so loved our weeping world that he gave his own son to weep with us all the way to the place of utter forsakenness, that whosoever believes in him will not weep forever, but have everlasting joy. Here's the major thing that we need to remember on this Palm Sunday. We need to remember right here in the middle of this worldwide pandemic that is excruciating to watch, that is experiencing so much death across our land and around the globe, that loss and sorrow and turmoil is right here. We need to remember that one day sooner than we might expect, he is going to return to wipe away every tear. Your tears, my tears. Not because he's suppressing our sadness, but because the one who wipes away our tears has shed his own. And he triumphed. He sits at the right hand of the Father, waiting for a day when all of this will be wrapped up and every tear will be wiped away and there will be no more death and no more sorrow and no more pain and no more division and no more coronavirus He is waiting when he will culminate and have all of his people at home with him.
the place that he's gone to prepare for us. We need to remember today that Jesus is weeping over the world, desiring that they would know where to find peace. We know where to find peace. We need to find ourselves approaching his throne boldly, with confidence, coming to his throne of grace and mercy. Because we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. He gets it. He's been there. And we also need to introduce other people, those that are suffering and struggling and are afraid and anxious, living right next door to us or across the street when we go for a walk. Those people need to know this Jesus who came to wipe away every tear. Today, we're going to gather virtually, and we've never done this before, like Will said. And we're going to come to the table, come to the table and, and participate. And this table has, as Brother Robert Grant tells us, is a long table. And there are many that have gone before us that have a seat at this table. And there are many that will come after us who also have a seat. And we're invited to come to this table to participate with him. So this is going to be a new experience. You probably have some sort of elements here. We have some juice and some bread. We ask you to go and get what you have as far as your elements. We're going to pray in just a moment. Brother Curtis and Brother Jamie are going to share with us about the cup and the bread. They're going to pray for these elements. Though we're not together in location, we are together in the spirit and we get to participate with him and therefore participate with one another and all those who went before and all those who will come after. And so as they pray, if you would hold your bread and then let uh, Brother Curtis pray for that bread and then don't eat it yet. Go ahead and let uh, Jamie share and pray over the cup as well. And when they've both prayed for the bread and for the wine. Then Justin and Grace will sing a song, and you as a family can gather together and pray for one another and share in the Lord's table. Brother Curtis. When Jesus was with his disciples at the Last Supper, after the meal, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he shared with them, and he said, This is my body. We realize that life is in the body. Their minds understood it more clearly than our more cluttered modern minds, but they understood that life was in the body. So let's pray together. We thank you, dear Father, that you brought your son into the world. He was eternal, but you brought him into this world of time and gave him a body and he gave that body totally sacrificially that we might have life. But like the miracle of the loaves, when he gave, there was always enough to keep giving. And today, as we receive the life that is in your body, please help us to believe in every moment that there is enough for us to keep breaking off and giving to others in your name. 
we receive life through Jesus. With thanksgiving to you, Father. Amen. Well, now we take the cup. And would you pray with me for the cup? Jesus, we turn to you and we know there's there's power in your blood. We know, Jesus, that there's forgiveness in your blood. We know that there is restoration. We know that there's redemption. We know that there's forgiveness. We, we know that there is healing. Lord, we are grateful and we come before you for this cup of thanksgiving as a participation in your blood. And Lord, there's nothing that we need more while we wait for uh, antiviruses and while we wait for cures, Lord, we're grateful that the ultimate cure, the greatest power ever is in your blood that was shed for us, that came out of your love. It wasn't just a chemical. It was an expression of your self-sacrificial love. And Lord, this is our hope. It's on this that we stand. It's on Christ, the solid rock that we stand. So, Lord Jesus, we, we accept the gift of what you've given for us. And, Lord, what we pray for, not is just that we would receive a cup today, not just that we would receive juice, but, Lord, that what we'd receive is all the things we mentioned, power and forgiveness and restoration and redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so as Justin and Grace are going to sing a song, would you turn to your family and your household, and would you guys pray for one another? And then would you go ahead and take the communion elements together? Amen. The Lord is good to us, and we get to experience his presence wherever we are. And that's surely what has happened here this morning. We're blessed to be a part of this spiritual family. I honestly believe that we were made for such a time as this. And uh, I'm so proud of what God is doing amongst us. We have needs among us, and we're trusting the Lord to meet those things. But we are continuing on in the purposes of God. But here's my encouragement to you this week. Get involved in a small group if you're not. Uh, we sent out emails where people can connect, connect with one of those leaders and see if you can FaceTime in with them or Zoom in with them this week. And then this Friday, we'll have a prayer gathering early in the morning from 7 to 8, not as early as we normally do because you get to do it in your home, but it's a Zoom prayer meeting and it was tremendous last Friday. And what better Friday to do a prayer time than Good Friday coming up? Then as we gather on Sunday morning, for Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus, we celebrate that he is risen, risen indeed. We love you. you. Want to say something, sweetie? Yes, I just wanted to say, I know sometimes when we say we're praying for someone, we sort of mean like at the end of all the other things we do, like I'm going to help you practically and then I'm going to pray for you. But while we're in this situation where the first thing that we can do is pray, it has been such a rich treasure to pray for each of you that I know by name, the ones that I know well, and the ones not so well. Um, I just feel like that connection in the spirit is so much more real to me right now than it has been. And I hope that regardless of what happens next, that I don't lose that. Um, I feel more, more connected with community right now than I have 
in a very long time. And it's a good thing. So let's stay connected. Let's be church. Let's be the church, not somewhere we go, but who we are. God bless you this day on the Lord's Day. May it be restful, enjoyable, enjoy your family, and look for the Lord's purposes to be revealed. See you next time. Thank mm-hmm. you.